thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. I'm delighted and honored to have you with me. And today, I want to continue thinking about the Dominion Mandate and its implementation, its outworking in the context of real-life present legislation. Last week, I spoke about it in the context of abortion legislation, and I said I would speak about it this week in the context of the marriage issue and legislation pending in Tennessee trying to reestablish the idea that the marital relationship is defined by male and female. In other words, just like you can't form a square with three lines, you can't form a marriage with just any two people. It has to be a man and a woman. And I'm working on legislation that would do that here in Tennessee. I've been working with some good lawyers for the last several years to develop it. And uh, man, we, we face hurdles here even in Christian Republican Tennessee with the church on every corner and trying to get the legislature to establish that a man and a woman uh, can marry simply because they exchange marital kinds of promises and they don't have to get the permission of the government. In other words, the marital relationship is something the government acknowledges, doesn't create. I mean, I, I can't get many pastors, denominational leaders, politicians, any other organizations to support us in the effort, but we're working on it. And, and, and I really wanted to talk about that. And, and in a way, I am today, but I want to pass over it just a bit to perhaps get to a better way of thinking about how to exercise the dominion mandate in relation to civil government by looking at a federal law being proposed right now by Senator Scott and Senator Lankford. It's called the Parental Rights and Responsibilities Act. And there'll be similar laws proposed in various states on parental rights. In fact, I'm actually trying to kill one in Tennessee right now, maybe even keep it from being filed. And you may think, David, why in the world of all people, having spent 29 years in state politics, uh, 12 as a senator and 17 now as a pro-family advocate, uh, opposing a statute for parental rights? And the reason is really very simple. We already have law on parental rights. We don't need to enact any statute or statutes to have law to govern the relationship between a parent and a child. That we don't think we have any such law is the problem. When I quoted Professor of Biblical Law um, in Bristol, England, Jonathan Burnside, uh, last week in, in a series I did uh, last year, as saying that if we think about law like Jeremy Bentham, like legal positivists, then we aren't thinking in terms of biblical law, the Torah. Or put another way, we, we aren't thinking in the categories of biblical law or the concepts of biblical law. And, and here's where 
what he said hits home. We tend to think that we don't have law governing parental rights. I don't have anything to protect me. I don't have anything to assert unless we enact a statute that spells those rights out. We need a statute. I mean, every year in Tennessee, we have thousands of bills filed because we need to have a law to fix something. And and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, uh, why we think that way and what that means that we think that way in just a moment. But I think lurking behind this reaction, we need a statute, we've got to pass a statute, is that we have actually adapted our thinking to that of legal positivists. In other words, we've become as a practical matter what we would deny we are as a theological matter. I mean, if we embrace a biblical cosmology, an understanding of the kind of place that we live in and what it's for and how it works, then we believe law doesn't come from anyone in the civil government whether it be a legislator or a judge. And just saying that statement grates against our ears like, well, uh, wait a minute, we don't believe law comes from the civil government? Either a legislator or a judge? No. I mean, that's the whole point of the common law that I talked about so incessantly. You, you may recall me quoting William Blackstone to the effect that a judge may resolve a dispute on the basis of what he thinks the applicable law is and later find that he was either wrong about the law or the application of the law to the facts. And, and it wouldn't be that the law changed, per se, but that he was mistaken about the law in the first place. Okay. And, and you may recall me quoting this to you from William Blackstone. I've used it in at least one or two podcasts in the past. That he said statutes, which are positive laws, enacted laws, are either declaratory of the common law or remedial of some defects therein, okay? In other words, he's saying there is law out there. We wouldn't really have to have any statutes except that sometimes we need to declare what the common law is or remedy a defect in it. Now, let me explain that just a little bit further or refresh your recollection about it. When he says that, that statutes are declaratory of the common law, what he's saying is there, there may be instances where the custom, the common law, has almost fallen into disuse or it's become disputable. We're, we're arguing over whether marriage really is a man and a woman. And he says, in which case the parliament, or in our country, the legislature, has thought proper as a witness of the matter forever and for avoiding all doubts and difficulties to declare what the common law is and hath ever been. Now, see, that's what I would say the statutes on marriage were. They were saying, we're, we're confused maybe about marriage anymore. And so the legislature would come along and say, well, the common law people are getting confused. They think two men can have a marital relationship at common law, so we need to enact a statute to declare what the common law has ever been and from here on will be, the marital relationship is that between a man and a woman. Now, remedial statutes are, he says, those which are made to supply such defects and abridge such superfluities in the common law as arise either from the general imperfection of all human laws, 
from change of time and circumstances, notice this one, and from mistakes and unadvised determinations of unlearned or even learned judges or from any other cause whatsoever. So there is this law, it's unwritten law, it's the common law, and we declare what we think it is and we apply it to the situations, but sometimes we realize over the course of time, well, we were mistaken in that. Uh, That wasn't the best understanding of the law. And so we might uh, then pass a statute to remedy the defect in the common law. So, for example, with respect to marriage, The United States Supreme Court said, after adoption of the 14th Amendment, that the statutes on marriages shouldn't be construed as creating marriage. Why, everybody knows marriage is created by the man and the woman in the declaration of certain kinds of promises between each other. But he says they should be treated as helping prove or give evidence of the marital relationship. Because at common law, you might prove it by bringing in the Bible or you might uh, prove it by bringing in witnesses, but as people move around and die, and marriages, uh, you know, particularly in our country, uh, we we go from state to state or internationally. You may have a hard time proving your marriage. You can't get the witnesses there, and 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 so that would be an instance the, the marriage laws as correcting a defect in the means of proving marriages that existed at the common law. Now, the Supreme Court in Obergefell versus Hodges back in 2015 says, no, those are actually creating marriages, and they were just flat wrong. But we never made this kind of argument, see, because we don't know the common law, and we think the positive law is doing something other than uh, correcting the defect in or declaring what the law already has been. We didn't even make those kind of arguments because we don't know they exist because we're such legal positivists. Okay, I'm getting carried away here. But anyway, the problem with all parental rights legislation, federal for sure, and even that which I've seen being offered in some of the states, is that the soil in which the law of parent-child relationships developed over centuries of maturation in our understanding and development of laws as Christians exercised dominion in relation to the various legal systems that they ran into, developing and improving them over the time. Well, Well, that's just gone. That soil has had salt, you might say, uh, sown throughout it. It's dead. So the cosmology, though, that our understanding of parental rights grew out of was, um, would, would be found in William Blackstone's uh, commentaries, um, section two to his introduction, where he begins his discussion of the nature of law in general is with these words, when the supreme being formed the universe. You see, the understanding of the nature of law and the development of common law was grounded in the supreme being forming the universe. But that cosmology, my friend, is completely, utterly gone in our legal system. You can't even bring up God, right? Let alone have God be the foundational principle for understanding what law is. We substitute history. We substitute tradition. But history and tradition could be wrong. History and tradition can change. 
There's no objective foundation for anything because the only objective predicate for anything, God, having created things a certain way, is gone. It's been supplanted by an evolutionary cosmology in which, quote, laws of nature operate on us independent of any activity by God. And these laws just drive us towards a perpetual state of becoming. And, and you know, that's exactly what transgenderism is. That's why parents are losing rights in relation to their children who want to transition or gaining rights to help transition them is because we have an evolutionary understanding of the human being and of all law. So what we're doing with these statutes is we're planting parental rights in a completely different soil. And those statutes, being positive law, will be interpreted and applied according to the soil or the cosmology in, in which it's found, which is not that in which those rights developed. I said, that soil's gone. Uh, and and look, there there's a an analogy I was thinking of here today. I mean, Scripture tells us that nature itself is revealing the glory of God and about the nature of God, and and um, and we see in Isaiah twenty eight where the uh, Isaiah says to the farmer the revelation about how you plant soil, um, excuse me, dill and cumin and those other things is is taught from the Lord. You, you know you do certain kinds of seeds a certain way, and you thresh, and you make things a certain different way out of the goods that you produce. And and uh, I was just thinking of um, hydrangeas that my mother had that were were uh, a, a beautiful sort of, uh, you know, um, pink color. And we got some when we bought our first house and planted them in our new house, and they all came up blue. And uh, so... <laughs> You know, that was when I learned that the, the pigments in hydrangeas are affected by the presence of aluminum ions in the soil. And so you can have an hydrangea that in one place is going to be red, pink, blue, light purple, dark purple, and may all come off the same cutting. But you plant them in a different soil and you get a different color. So, so a certain cosmological legal soil can change the way a statute that's planted in it will look, or, or at least how it'll, how it'll be interpreted, which is how it will look, right? So when parental rights are federalized, as Senators Scott and Langford have proposed, and by the way, it's backed by every Christian and conservative organization I can think of, that statute, though it alludes to the fact we've already always had these rights, that statute will be interpreted according to the cosmology that now orders our understanding of law, not the understanding of law that gave rise to the rights we think we have. And, and, and so that means our parental rights are now going to be decided by federal courts. And when federal courts say it's unconstitutional to recognize objective differences between males and females in relation to marriage and say that it's an act of discrimination under Title VII of federal law and Title IX of federal law to countenance those 
objective differences, well, I think we're headed for trouble. So vote for the bill and support a bill if you want to. But I think you're going to find in the next 10 years that whatever parental rights you thought you had at common law that were developed under a biblical cosmology or that common sense today tells you you have, which is simply borrowing from common law, well, they're going to be turned out by the evolutionary mechanistic cosmology that informs law today. And I'm going to come back next week to this mechanistic cosmology and the fact that that we are operating as if we do live in an evolutionary mechanistic cosmology as we try to proceed with the dominion mandate. But you'll have to join me for that uh, next week for that. So let, let me get to an immediate point then in terms of dominion and in relation to the issue of the abortion legislation we discussed last week and this parental rights legislation. They both begin with and arise out of the need to have a proper understanding of Adam and Eve. I mean, there, there are our ancestors and what they were intended to be and what they are post-fall. Well, those things are determinative in relation to everything else. So from a right understanding of what it means to be a man and a woman came the understanding of the marital relationship at common law, for example, and really in every culture. That kind of relationship flowed, we might say, organically and by the fiat law of God from a right understanding of the kind of beings that man and woman are and their intended fruitfulness. So God made us in his image, and, and the law pertaining to man and woman and marriage is established by God, and it fits with the organicness of that relationship towards fruitfulness, right? So remember, unfruitfulness, at least in my opinion, is a consequence of the fall. It's not a part of human nature in its unfallen state. Infertility to me seems to be a consequence of sin because God wanted Adam and Eve and their descendants to fill the earth. So infertility would be contrary to God's design that the earth be filled anyway. But, but from that understanding of man and woman and the marital relationship, flowed organically and according to God's use of the law of sperm and egg. Right? There's a law that if a, a sperm and egg join together, a life is formed, right? And God uses that law, it's an instrumentality that God uses to create the life of another child. So again, there's a harmony between the organic of man and woman and this law uh, pertaining to fertility. And, and from those relationships flows the parent-child relationship. So again, we have an organic and I would say covenantal boundary laws of that relationship, and they're in harmony. The parent and the child relationship is a covenantal kind of relationship um, that has boundaries 
fixed by God that work in harmony with the bringing of a new child into existence. Yet, despite this organic foundation of man and woman in matrimony and the covenantal laws that frame them, what I see us doing is trying to dominion mandate ourselves into a better and more righteous culture by spending almost all our time and energy passing laws on abortion and parental rights. I mean, the organic, lawful, and God-given foundation on which the life of the unborn and the parent-child relationship uh, are predicated, it's gone from our law. You, you may say, no, but a man and a woman can still marry. Right, but the understanding of marriage is, in principle, man and woman are irrelevant. So you can see there, the cosmological foundation of, of the Bible, that in principle, male and female are required, to now the cosmological principle, that in principle, male and female are not required. Now look, there's there's nothing wrong with being pro-life or being pro-parental rights and working on legislation in those areas. But I will say this as I've been thinking about it. The way we go about things is to me a little bit like putting all our thought and energy and money into contractors to fix the ceilings and walls on the second floor of a house that's fallen in when the reason they're falling in this being the second floor, is because the biblical understanding of man and woman in our law, the necessity of civil law upholding that understanding of the marital relationship, is gone from our, our memory. In other words, those things are the things that hold up the second floor. And, and let me just be frank. Not one organization in the entire country has come up with any legal strategy for reestablishing the law of matrimony other than the one that I lead. And I'm not saying that in any puffed up proud way because it is God alone that put a fire in my belly about this. And even when I didn't fully understand all of its importance, I just remember thinking, who are you, you uncircumcised Supreme Court justices and think you can redefine what marriage is. And, and that extended to my board. So this is not tooting my horn for any work in me. But, I mean, nobody, not one. I mean, I've been turned down by everyone in the country in working on this. There's just no interest. No, what they won't say, David, can you give me a bill on abortion or parental rights or drag shows? Uh, but I really don't want to talk about how to reestablish the law that restores the foundation from which those other evils come. See, that's that's the second floor. And so foundations are important and and we won't spend all our time working on the something other than the foundations. But what I'm hearing is that Americans and Christians, well, they've settled into accepting same sex marriage, so we need to move on and and I'll just say this right there to me, my friends, is evidence of the apostasy that's in the church and the love of something more 
than the glory of God revealed about his bride in the marital relationship between a man and a woman. That metaphor, that imagery of what God is doing in the eternal and spiritual world that's established in the material, temporal world has been spat upon, cast down, and extinguished, and we don't care. We give out platitudes. I saw one the other day. Well, no government can define what marriage is. Well, they just did, and they imposed it on everybody in the whole country. And you're okay with that as being the law, yet you're going to worry about whether a woman gets a death penalty or gets a class A felony or a class E misdemeanor, but I don't care that a law was imposed on everybody that says marriage is any two people and, and the sex of the parties is irrelevant to it. That law's fine. I'm sorry, I'm just getting on my horse here. It's, it's like we're wanting to pluck off grapefruits from the tree because we want oranges and we don't realize the roots are going to keep producing grapefruits. I mean, God abhors divorce, and yet in a sense we've accepted the divorce of man and woman as fundamental in our law to what a marital relationship is. No wonder we kill our babies. No wonder we don't know what the nature of the relationship is between parents and children. And, and, and look, I'm not saying that people can't be called to work on different things. That some people want to work on abortion and, and some people want to work on parental rights. I'm not saying, no, you shouldn't be working on that. Everything needs to go to the marital issue. So don't, don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is that if we're not drawing those laws in those other areas in such a way as to rebuild the cosmological grounding for all law, then even what we're building may not be built rightly. And, and remember the warning of the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of Corinthians. I spent several weeks on it that if we don't build rightly, what we build may be burned down even if we're saved. So anyway, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but, but I want to do so as I close with calling to your mind something I said last week, namely that the body of Christ needs to do more than repent of how it's handled abortion over the last 50 years. Instead, it needs to repent of having failed to understand what was going on over the last 100 plus years in our law and in our cosmology that led to abortion and is now leading to the erosion of parental rights that were built up over centuries and is now being flushed down the toilet. You know, holiness is supposed to be universal. It, it's not, oh Lord, help me not do this sin or that sin anymore. It's, it's to be universal against sin wherever it would pop up in our lives. And that means our repentance must be universal too. It's not enough to just repent of what we've done on abortion or what we've done on parental rights or what we've done even on the marital relationship. But we have allowed the cosmology of God that underlies or used to underlie all our law 
to be eliminated. And if all we want to do is repent of what we've done on this or that, well, we may find that we're actually trying to make bargains with God that that best serve the needs of our moment. And, and look, I've done that. Oh, Lord, help me get over this, you know, and then I'll give you my life. Because that was whatever it was, I don't need to get into it. It was bothering me. I want to get rid of it. It had nothing to do with a love for God or a hatred of sin in toto. It was a selfish repentance. It was not a godly sorrow. So our repentance needs to be whole and complete and not partial. And, and here's part of my confession. I, I wanted to implement the dominion mandate when I got into politics in 1994. I doubt I'm alone in thinking that way about politics, that the way to do the dominion mandate is through politics, through law, enacting laws. And I'm having to repent of proceeding in that endeavor based on a wrong cosmology, an evolutionary one, and I didn't even know it. And next week, I'm going to get into that. You see, I had a passion for the dominion mandate, but I didn't appreciate that it can only proceed effectively and in a good and right order if one's proceeding under a cosmology that's in line with what we find in the Bible. And as I said about the parental rights legislation, and I'd say the same thing about the abortion legislation, I think the cosmology under which we're operating is not the one in the Bible. And if that's so, our enacted and positive laws just may not produce the good results we think they will. So I hope you'll join me next week as I uh, continue to look at this dominion mandate and how it's to work cosmologically. And as a little teaser, I'll be using some great material from John Calvin, Thomas Boston, David Chilton, and, and Chalk Knox Unplugged. I think it's going to be a great episode, and I'll hope you join me for that because I sure can't wait. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.